Welcome to the Grow and Learn podcast, everyone. This is Arena, your host. Today we're going to be speaking about female leadership, about rites of passage, because today I have as my guest Paula Conroy, all the way from Australia. We're going to be talking about the experience of female leaders across industries. We're going to be speaking about her experience and how she currently helps people and women, specifically women, gain their rites of passage. I'm welcoming Paula Conroy. Hi, Paula. Uh, hi, Zarina. So lovely to see you today, and I'm really excited to be on the show with you. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Whereabouts are you in Australia? So I'm based in this beautiful little town called Byron Bay, which is on the east coast of Australia. Um, and Byron Bay is uh, notorious not just for the sort of energetic experience that one has when they're here. It falls on some really powerful ley lines. Um, but Byron Bay also has the most eastern tip of Australia. So there's a lighthouse in Byron Bay, which is a very iconic lighthouse for those that live in Australia and for many people around the world. Um, but it's a beautiful little town that's filled with a lot of interesting, eclectic people that are all doing really cool things in the world. So I feel very fortunate to be living here today. Oh, that sounds really exciting. I once went to uh, Portugal, Sigit. Uh, Sorry, I'm probably chopping the name, but um, it's interesting because it was also on a corner. And it was also full of the type of people that you're describing. Very interesting place. Yeah, so, I feel like that often happens where the water meets the land. Yeah, you know, people are very drawn to that energy there where the water meets the land. So, yeah, it's fantastic to be here. I did live for um, for a long time in Europe as well, lived for many years in London and then for many years in Sydney, Australia. And I've been up in Byron Bay now for the last couple of years, which has been a wonderful change to life, especially given the journey that I've been on in my transitions myself. Mm -hmm. So where did you grow your corporate career? You were previously leading teams. You were a very busy woman. Where was this in London or... Yes, so it began in London. Um, so I worked in corporate banking for nearly 15 years or going on about 15 years for a global bank, um, managing multi-jurisdictional multi teams, um, you know, and defending an eight-figure balance sheet for many, many years um, and had an extraordinary career there. Honestly, I've, I've worked for a number of years in Europe and in London, covering uh, regions such as Africa and the Middle East. And then I moved across to Australia and, and managed a number of multinationals and global institutions from Australia. So fascinating career. And working in a global bank really did give me many, many opportunities. There was an opportunity for me to see, you know, the inside of a corporate treasury from a global, global perspective. So, you know, how do these really large global institutions manage all their money? What kind of account structures do they have? What kind of short and long-term investments do they look after? You know, how do they plan strategically around, you know, big, big market-driven or global-driven events? Um, and really just a very interesting product suite that the global bank that I worked in could do that was very unique around cross-border, cross-currency pooling and cash concentration arrangements for these multinationals. So from a curiosity or from an intellectual point of view, there was many interesting facets of working in a, in a large institution such as that. Um, and so I got a lot of satisfaction out of that exploration from an intellectual point of view. Um, and then I also had the extraordinary uh, opportunity to be in a position of leadership and, you know, manage teams across Australia and, and across Asia or sort of dotted line into Asia. So that gave me a extraordinary opportunity to really get a sense of what, 
you know, leadership in today's world looks like and the current culture and the current structure. This is what leadership looks like. And this is how it gets trained within those institutions. Um, and it got to probably around uh, about five years ago when I started noticing the sense of agitation inside of me. There was something inside of me going, hmm, not quite right, not quite sure, not quite clear, not quite alive to what the aspects of being a leader in today's world looks like, and especially being a woman. So female leadership had this persona, I suppose, and this way in which we were taught how to be leaders. And yet for me, there was constantly something that wasn't quite fitting. It was like, yes, that makes perfect sense, but there's something missing here. I'm not sure what it is and I can't articulate it. And I'm looking for it on the outside. I'm looking for the female leader on the outside that embodies what it means to be a female leader in today's world. And yet for me, it wasn't clear yet. And I couldn't find that external person in order to be able to say, yes, that's what it looks like. Um, and so I went on kind of a personal journey, a real deep personal quest on really wishing and calling in and intending to deeply understand what female leadership in today's current culture does actually look like and does feel like from an embodied point of view, instead of from a learned point of view or from a trained point of view or from an external source telling me how to lead in today's world, um, what that looks like from that external source. And that journey from what I thought it was to what I've now discovered since I have gone on this exploration has been an incredibly insightful and revealing and oftentimes painful experience of waking up to the ways in which female leadership is not necessarily um, uh, attuned to its natural essence. There is still this pandemic that we have in the workplace of men and women alike working too hard the pace getting faster, everything's got to be bigger, better, stronger, do more with less, you know, just tighten up, make things work, make a plan. It's constantly stretching, you know, it's all about resilience. It's all about bounce back. It's all about now the adaptability quotient. You know, there's all these different ways in which we kind of mold our narrative to just sort of make it okay that we live in this pace that is unsustainable and it's not attuned to the frequency of our natural cycles of the seasons that we go through. And as a result of that, we can all attest to the burnout that many, many women and men, but I'd say a majority, well, a lot of women out there are feeling, trying to uphold that superwoman mystic. I can have the family and the child and be the wife and be the career woman and still have a, you know, size six body and all these different facets of external conditioning that so many women try and juggle while at the same time inside of them, there's the sense of real aridity and disconnection from who they really are. And I know that because I was one of them, you know, wow, I'm doing all of the things. And from an external point of view, looking at my life from the outside, it looks fabulous. It looks great. It looks, you know, look at you doing it all. And yet inside of me, there was this little voice calling out like, this is not how it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to be working 50, 50 hour weeks and not seeing your two small children. And, you know, you're not supposed to suppose there was this little girl inside of me going, waving a flag, saying this isn't how it's supposed to be. And, you know, we, um, I got to the point where I was, I, I really had to heed that, that, that voice and listen deeply to it because it was unsustainable. And the implications of those choices, even though at the time I didn't realize they were choices, I felt quite identified and entangled in 
the momentum that was happening in my life in so many ways took a long time to build the structure around me and the safety within myself to be able to dismantle, you know, a, a possibly really glossy career and a possibly very long lasting, you know, traveling up the chain within that global institution in favor of this internal call that was saying, you know, we can't sustain this. If we, if I'm going to continue on this path, there's going to be something that's going to fall over. There's going to be either family or relationship or something's going to fall over my health. My health was kicking up at that stage. And, you know, I know so many women who just share the story with me, you know, like, wow, I just, I felt all of that and I've known all of that and I don't know how to change. I don't know how to transition from where I am right now in my life to where I really want to be, which is living in a place of balance and harmony and internal alignment to who I want, you know, the person that I know myself to be. And yet I can't be that person because I'm holding all these balls. I'm spinning all these plates. I'm, you know, keeping up this, this uh, identity that I have, landed up in and yes I've created but in many ways I've kind of landed up in it and I don't know how to transition and so that's really where you know through that experience of transitioning from that way of life now into a different way of life into a different flow a different cycle allowing that cycle to permeate into my home and my family my well-being my nervous system defrags my nervous system defragging, there is indeed a rite of passage, a journey, a transition from one stage of life to the next that can be done really well for all men and women around the world, children as well. We do a lot of work with children and transitioning them through adolescence into young adulthood in a really healthy way. And so that exploration of what are what is a rite of passage, what are the components of these this ancient wisdom that is inherent within these indigenous practices that have been around for millennia um, that have supported children to transition or people to transition through their lives in a really healthy way to not land up getting stuck like so many of us in today's culture are and that's how um so it's the it's the ancient wisdom the magic in that practice in this process of understanding these different components of a rite of passage and learning how to work with those components in our everyday life in our families in our workplaces within ourselves and our awareness about the changes that are taking place within our lives that we build the capacity to be able to do those transitions well. And that's really where my focus is at the moment now and supporting people to do those transitions well. Yeah. I see. So when you were back, I have a few questions that built up uh, throughout this uh, conversation so far. And I was wondering whether you think that uh, while you were still uh, working in your corporate career, do you think um, that, the issue was mainly with female leadership or was it generally the corporate culture that is everywhere in the world? Because it seems that uh, it's more of the cutthroat competition and do-do-do that is more of a problem than specifically female leadership. It's just that women experience it differently because they're the child bearers. Or what, what do you think? Mm -hmm. uh, 100% agree. You know, there is indeed a culture that we have collectively created as a human population in this particular work setting that has resulted in everybody suffering, not just the women, you know, men have suffered greatly at the, at, at the, at the creation of the culture that we live in. So there is this very big macro issue that we have that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, can only really be addressed when we come down into the individual ability and capacity to actually create change from within and that really, indeed, these structures do need to, in my view, crumble 
in many ways in order to create the possibility of that, you know, death, so to say, of that system to happen in order for something to be reborn in alignment and in attunement with the type of life that all of us really wish to have. I mean, nobody will get to their deathbed and say, geez, I wish I'd worked harder. You know, I wish Mm -hmm. I'd spent time with my children. I wish I'd spent more time at work. You know, of course, we all want to be working in, you know, passion projects and in purpose-driven work, which is fantastic. And that's great. Like, yes, we should all be following that attunement to that expression of ourselves in that way and we are also wishing at the same time not a but to create that in relation in in, in balance and harmony with the rest of the components of our lives that all mean you know varying degrees but all mean a lot to us to each and every one of us you know majority of the world we can probably safely say really value community really value family really value time with their children really value their hobbies and their interests and their sports and all of these different things that people love to varying degrees kind of gets washed away under the weight of that culture that is indeed a global a global phenomenon a global pandemic you know so how then do we deal with this really large challenge that we have of a very like established culture that dictates and there's a lot of momentum in that as well. It's not like suddenly momentum can just shift and drop and change direction overnight. It requires a turning of the ship. It requires a different choice. And that is only possible when we come down to our own individual abilities, which is that each and every one of us can begin to change our ways in which we are approaching this and co-creating this culture. You know, and so to bring that into where it sits with the female leadership aspect and the and the masculine, or the I'm going to actually change it from female leadership because it's actually feminine leadership, which is what is being called for here, and that is not necessarily only a trait that is uh, present in women. You know, men have a feminine as a, fem- a feminine side, femininity or feminine sides really do uh relate to those natural parts of us the emotional parts of us and to the laws that are all around us just like mother nature and mother earth these are all feminine principles but that's not just for women that's for men as well and you know the masculine traits which is the form the getting things done also exists within us women so it's not about a men and a woman thing in in many ways it's actually about this masculine and feminine sides of our ways of being as human beings that are very out of balance we've got this go 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 on our masculine side that's all got a lot of momentum to it and we've got this underdeveloped emotional side for both men and women that is causing us to now show up in our leadership capacities Mm -hmm. and in our workplaces in a way that's quite confrontational that's not necessarily in the harmony of these two poles that exist within all of us And so something that each of us can do is really seek to understand these parts of ourselves that are not necessarily working in unison, but are actually in conflict with one another. And how do we give that part of ourselves, that feminine side, more space to be heard in order to be able to shift the momentum and the course of the energy that's present in our our current flow, in our culture? Talking about transitioning, because you're facilitating this transitioning process, what are some steps? Because to me, it sounds a lot like deprogramming. Like I can attest from my own experience that it took some some time to deprogram from the corporate way of thinking. And even this attachment to intellectual gratification that that you were talking about, uh, because, you know, the, the type of work that I'm doing now is intellectual, but in a different way. 
it's not as complex as it used to be. It's not as big in scope. So it doesn't give me the same type of intellectual gratifications. And, I, and sometimes I catch myself still looking for it after you know that many years not, not working in this environment anymore. So, so to me, this is deprogramming because you know how everybody grows in their professions. Like you can recognize a teacher or a, a small kids teacher or a doctor. They all have specific traits that they've embodied. How do you deprogram? How do you help people transition? What are some steps? Yeah, no, thanks for that. And yeah, I mean, the transition process, you know, involves a number of different stages in order for us to create the possibility of somebody being able to meet those parts of themselves that actually you're using the word deprogram. I'm going to use the word the parts of us that actually need to die. You know, these parts of us that have been potentially our winning formula in the past that, you know, we were celebrated for our intellectual prowess or for our ability to solve complex problems and all of these things our ego gets quite attached to and identified with. And certainly I saw that happen in my life, my proficiency around that rather masculine side of cognizing and calculating and being able to distill all of that down into a really sort of, in a way, transactional uh, delivery of things at the expense of the feeling being that was within me. But this winning formula served me and it may have served you as well. Like it actually did really well. So I've, my ego has grown quite attached to this part of me that has actually served me. And yet this other part that's calling for my attention is calling actually for me to let go of that attachment to that part of me in order for me to serve this other part of me that is desperately trying to communicate to me how it's feeling. And, you know, one was coming at the expense of the other. So, you know, using the rites of passage rites of passage framework and especially the rites of passage framework around the journey of feminine consciousness to begin to titrate, as we would say, is like it's not some big, bah, we're going to blow your world open. It's that That's not the way of the feminine. I mean, we see Mother Nature. She moves through her season slowly. Every now and again she can get a bit chaotic, but she moves through her season slowly and Mother Earth turns in her own time. And that to, you know, come on a weekend and just have the whole world, but sure, there can be a big activation on a weekend, but it's really about the titration, the step-by-step of creating this the structure around the individual through these ancient practices, such as sitting in in circle and telling our stories amongst women, which is an an ancient practice that sounds so familiar, but the circle, I mean, the circle practice that can be created with intentional listening, where we're not there to rescue one another, we're not there to solve one another's problems. We give each other full respect and full sovereignty to know that You've got the Zarina, you've got your story. I'm here to lovingly listen and receive the gift of you telling me your story. And through that journey of you telling me your story, I get the chance to reflectively learn and grow within my own, find that sense of commonality between us as women, as human beings on the planet, potentially as mothers, as I know you have a beautiful five-year-old boy. I get to see myself in you in that journey and your discoveries, your healings, your vulnerabilities, your ability to share yourself openly in turn shines a light on my story, even if I'm not speaking it verbally, that there's an incredibly cathartic experience that I can go through just through the ability to sit in presence and listen to you tell your story with authenticity. 
And this practice, it's like, you know, sitting in circle and holding that, that space sacred, really holding those agreements that we have between ourselves when women sit in circle with women and upholding those, the confidentiality, the sensitivity to the listening, you know, the holding of the space, the not rescuing, the full respect of sovereignty of one another brings in its own uh, sort of frequency, its own dynamic. There's a a, a field that exists among a, a, a circle of women telling their stories in this way that takes on, and I've sat in many, many, many circles of this nature, it, every single time it takes on its unique, extraordinary frequency that heals in ways that are so unbelievably profound, it's beyond our capacity to be able to even share it. Something happens viscerally in the body. There's an ancient wisdom that seeps into that field that is um, an experiential journey that can only really be understood through the experience of it. And I've seen so many women come into circles and, and connect in this way that have left so transformed that they have gone out and set up their own circles and continued on their exploration of that in such a profound way because they recognize that there is a, a potency to each of us remembering us our ability to self-source and self-heal and that connection that we have amongst other women that uh, often has been <laughs> broken down in our society. Women have been pitted against women and there's been so many things in our culture and in our conditioning and then the media that's been thrown at us since we were little girls and all of the things that have just been laid on top the whole way through our lives, you know, all of that can break down in the experience of really sitting in that space with other women and feeling that deep level of trust building and building and building as the weeks go by and the women sit together. You know, so that's a really important component of rites of passage. And then we sort of bring in the other phases, which is every single rite of passage will involve a challenge. You know, there's you're not going to move from one stage of life to the next without there being some kind of challenge, some kind of need to let go of something in order to create the space for something new to come in. There has to be that challenge in the experience in order for it to have the possibility to just shift us enough in our experience to be available for the invitation of a new vision, of a new way of being, of a new life, of a new job, of a new career, of a new relationship, of a new place to live. Whatever it is that's meant to be called into one's life then has the possibility of being available. But we have to let the leaves of the tree of that old cycle of that autumn that's happening fully fall off the tree. We can't kind of leave some leaves on the tree and then suddenly jump to a new life. We have to allow the entire old persona to die in order for us to be rebirthed and take the healthy aspects of how we were and implement them into our new vision going forward. And that's a really important part because so often we get concerned and vulnerable over that letting go of the old you know, and that becomes a very difficult, people get stuck there. We don't quite want to let go or we want to start something new before we fully let something go because that vulnerability of the winter, the vulnerability of the passage, of the rite of passage can feel incredibly overwhelming if we don't have the community around us, the support structure around us, which is why the sitting in circle and telling our stories over and over week after week on a guided journey creates that support structure, that community, that safety net within which we know we can be held through our winter in order for us to be able to emerge out with a new vision for the way forward, having fully let go of the old and not necessarily pulling, pulling through some of the unhealthy aspects of the old into the new. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, it's, and, you know, I, I hope that this is sounding clear around how this gets created, because ultimately each and every person's transformation is specifically uniquely theirs. They're, they've got a unique set of circumstances and a unique set of um, conditions that they're working with. And so nobody can walk through that journey for anybody else. Nobody can do that for anybody else. And so all we can really do in, a, in, the, in the role of facilitation and in the high art of facilitation is seek to continuously create the space, this really safe space within which people can build the safety within themselves to become unsafe, to be able to metamorphose, to be able to dissolve into something in order to be able into nothing in order to be able to be rebirthed as something. A facilitator can't do that for the person. All that we can do really in these processes and practices is create integral space within which people feel that they have got the safety and they've built the capacity in that circle environment to transition through something that they need to and pass from one stage of life into the next. So are these uh, circles, women's circles or female circles? Are, are men also welcome to the circle? Yeah, no, these are women's circles specifically. So for this for this time that I'm in at the moment, my my focus is very much around the women because there's, and don't get me wrong, there are a lot of men who are very alive to this as a concept within them. Um, but for and and there will be something that will come down the line in relation to the men. But for me at the moment, you know, my personal journey and the connection that I have with so many women, I meet so many women just like you, just like me, who've gone through these careers and have felt some kind of misalignment, known that they've needed to make a change, are still plagued with voices of fear, uncertainty, doubt, self-worth issues, not thinking they're good enough, feeling like they're stuck, something standing in their way. And for me right now, I'm like, wow, we need women to be coming into a healthy form of feminine leadership not an unhealthy form of feminine leadership where they're either stuck in a dynamic of anger and resentment or they're stuck in a role of acquiescing to the culture and not necessarily taking up their full you know, place within it all. So there's so many women that are kind of still stuck that are ready to go, that are really fully ready to go, that just need support in this ultimate next breaking apart of the things that need to die in order to be able to allow for the space for the new birth to happen. There's a ripeness at the moment amongst the women and certainly a lot of the women that I've worked with so far and a lot of the women that I know are very much ready for this type of transition from one stage of life to the next. So my focus with the frequency circles is very much on women and I do all of that online so that it's accessible to people around the world. Um, And then I do work with men as well. I mean, I work within a leadership training capacity with the Rites of Passage Institute where we run Rites of Passage programs for both men and women. And we do that together. But in terms of the frequency circles, which are online, all of that specifically only for women at this stage. Yeah, I see. So So the women's circles are not the same as the frequency circles. They're done in person where you are at, at these ley lines, the crossing of these ley lines, or? Yeah, so I run a frequency circle online for women, and I run a frequency circle in person for women that are local to me here in, in the area. And then I run leadership training retreats at the Rites of Passage Institute locally here in Australia and Byron Bay, which is for men and women. So that's more of an experiential weekend from a Friday to a Sunday, where we go through the Rites of Passage framework, and it is a very embodied experience around that training. 
um, and that appeals to both men and women. Um, but the frequency circles are online and in person here in Byron Bay. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit more about the frequency circles. Where can people sign up? How do they go? Is it like a, a subscription where they regularly join or do they join one time? Yeah, beautiful. So um, they can, anybody who's interested in exploring what the experiential journey of a frequency circle is, both either online or in person, um, can find me at the frequency.global, and that's both webpage and Instagram. Um, and what, 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 what my invitation would be to anybody who would like to learn more would be book a discovery call and let's have a chat about where you're at in your life, what's happening for you, where you feel stuck, where you feel that you are not necessarily able to make the choices that you feel called to make and how it is that we can potentially support that through the frequency circle journey. So my next circle or the next round of circles will be starting in July and that will all be via Zoom. And I have a maximum capacity of eight women per circle because I like to keep the intimacy and the integrity of the women that are journeying together for the 10 weeks really, really close because over that 10 weeks, like I was saying earlier, there's a a unique expression of the energetic field that forms between the woman. And it's extraordinary how week after week we see similar themes emerging from all the different women at the same time. It's like somehow the morphic field connects these women over long distances, you know, I mean, it's all done by Zoom and people are in many different countries. So, you know, it's an extraordinary experience to witness and that diversity that we get from being able to be accessible to international uh, people creates an incredibly unique perspective on our ability to connect as women, really deeply connect as women in that environment. So, you know, if the frequency circles is something that is potentially appropriate for you at the stage. We'll talk that through. But if it's not, I also can talk through a number of different other options that, that you know, within my network or, or other different options that I would have around one-to-one coaching or something like that if women are looking for something more specific. Okay, great. So when you um, mentioned earlier that some women open their own circles after they've attended yours do you provide specific trainings for these women for the circles or do they just naturally learn it after they participate in your circle yeah look i mean that's an ultimate outcome is that women would come to a circle experience that regenerative healing capacity of the circle and then have an inclination to hold that outside of their the space. So I work very closely with another facilitator who ha- runs these in-depth circle training workshops because there are, um, in order to maintain the integrity of the circle, it is really important that the person that's holding that space is aware of the different ways in which to hold that space really well. Because often with these circles, people will touch upon parts of themselves that may be very tender, may be rather vulnerable. And there's definitely a requirement for the people holding that space to be trained in uh, practices around being able to navigate those spaces well, to create safety continuously for each individual within that space, and to ensure that if anybody's been really deeply triggered or touching on a deep trauma, that they can indeed be facilitated and navigated through that process well, without landing up in a situation where they have 
you know, tipped into too much of a trigger. So, you know, myself personally, I'm uh, trauma-informed certified so that I can navigate my way through those conversations well. And um, And I've done obviously multiple different trainings around holding space within circles. So the invitation then for the woman at the end is to go on a circle training experience. They, these um, The woman that I work with really closely, she runs a business called Wonder and she does, you know, two in-person training days as well as on tra- online training around supporting people to really understand the different parts of what it means to hold a circle and what the requirement is from the space holder, what's the responsibility from the space holder and how to set that up well. Um, Because ultimately, you know, in today's world, Zarina, we don't have many people who have got access or resources to be able to continuously be going to a counselor or going to a psychologist or, you know, we have this mental health pandemic that's happening in our world that's standing in the way of strong leadership. You know, we've got a whole lot of traumatized people who are leading the world and we can see what's happening with, with the result of that. So, you know, we need to get to a stage where people are turning towards these parts of themselves that are standing in the way of them being fully healed and whole in the moment to have a clear vision. Instead, we're so much in our trauma that we're always in this reactive state and our nervous systems are not attuned to a place of easeful balance and harmony for us to be able to make really clear choices from the right parts of our brains. Instead, most of the time we're in fight or flight response, amygdala hijack. We are not necessarily operating from the most healed whole part of ourselves. But people, you know, majority of the world don't have the resources to just be investing in, you know, professional help around these things. And this really where is where it comes back with rites of passage all the time to the number one core value, which is the value of community and how we build integral communities again. How do we build this practice of being able to sit with one another and not be talking over one another and not be trying to up one-upmanship on one another and rather be able to get to a stage where our listening and our way of relating to one another has shifted to this way of, of, of creating the space for people to hear themselves speak. Often very much we're trying so much to talk because we haven't even heard ourselves speak because we don't even know what's actually going on for ourselves. We haven't had a chance to fully digest all these things that are sitting on our chests. And so when we bring in these practices and we bring in this remembrance of community, we're giving people a safe space to be able to come to an environment where they don't necessarily have to continuously be paying large amounts of money. They can set up circles in their own communities or in their own environments, hold them well and give community an opportunity to be reformed around these ancient ways of sitting and intentionally listening to one another. Um, and in that, in, in turn, giving ourselves the opportunity to connect to ourselves in a profound way without needing to continuously be spending our limited resources and money on professional help. Yeah, that's amazing. I really love this. And, uh, actually, <clears throat> because I'm originally Bulgarian, in Bulgarian villages back in the day, like and not so long ago, I would say even 20 years ago, and still in some villages, elderly women and back in the day, younger women used to gather together every single evening. After the end of the working day, every evening, they would sit together at a sitting. Every evening. And they would talk. So it was yeah. a normal thing to do in villages. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's it. It's I mean, as women and our transmission through that connection, you know, we see it mirrored to us in nature. I mean, look at the, you know, the pack of the, you know, the pride of the lionesses. You know, there are all the lionesses together all the time, tending to the young. Most of the time, they're chilling. They're just hanging out, lying around, sleeping. And then when they're called to be fierce, they are fierce together, and they are fierce as a pack. And there is this connection between the lioness the, the lionesses and the pride that is extraordinary and I'm always in such awe of those lionesses I watch them with such interest whenever I've had the privilege of being in the bush and seeing the, seeing them in the wild because I learn so much from the way they are the way they are with their young and with one another the way they honor one another in that frequency that they're clearly in together and you know this whole practice that you're describing from your village is so beautiful and it's so forgotten you know women instead of now come together and often it's gossiping or you know it's all these sorts of different things then the quality of our relating has broken down in our trauma and so how do we bring back the quality of the way in which we relate to one another and the way in which we build these spaces together and we can do it as simply as with the, with our groups of friends you know when I get together with my groups of friends a simple little practice that we bring in uh, around the dinner table when we sit down as we do a quick check-in and we say, right, check in around the table. We call it the rose, thorn, and seed, which is, you know, rose, what's going on? What's great in your life at the moment? What's really good? Um, thorn is what's challenging? What are you finding difficult? Is there anything you're struggling with? And seed is what are you visioning for at the moment? What are you wishing for? What are you calling in? And these can sometimes take the whole dinner as we go around the table, or sometimes it's just a two or three minute check-in where we just pause the whole dinner table instead of everyone just yapping, 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 and then going home and saying, oh, I didn't get to speak to you at all. I don't know how you are. Like we didn't even, you were on the other side of the table. We just take the time to do a check-in. And that way, the frequency of the experience is that, wow, like I got to the real heart of it with that dinner, you know, like I really heard from Zarina and from Sarah and from Gabby and from all the women that were around the circle, what's really good in their life, what they're struggling with and what they're wishing for. And I can now hold that in my heart as I go into the next day around, can I hold the tenderness of what they're struggling with? Can I feed into their vision with my own intentions? And can I celebrate their, their, their wins and their victories with what they shared about their roses? And it's just these subtle changes of the way in which we can be with one another in community that creates this possibility, this, this capacity, this potential for healthy relating amongst women and healthy relating, therefore, amongst women and their partners, women and their children, women in their workplaces, you know, and, and so the pride can kind of find her tendrils out into community and bring back that health. But it starts first with us, you know, individually. And then it starts with our little communities around us. And so as we do each of those steps of the process, as we participate in that expansion of our own awareness of how we relate, we in turn are giving ourselves more and more opportunities to invite in the magic that is the sisterhood, the magic that is the sisterhood remembering the sisterhood, the sisterhood connecting to intuitive capacities, the sisterhood remembering how to be in healthy relationship with self and with other women. You know, all these different parts of the feminine experience that so many women are in are are marred or, 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 or damaged or slightly broken because of our traumas. But the more we bring our awareness to our ability to reconnect to that, the more we heal these little dark, sad, icky, bitty, 
you know, difficult corners of our experience that uh, are really calling for our healing and this remembrance of us connected to one another in the pride of the sisterhood, of the womanhood. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a beautiful journey. It's big. <laughs> it's exciting. It sounds really beautiful. I, I admit it. I mean, thinking about or contemplating about the relationship between women now, it's very far away from sisterhood. It's all about competition and we've gone so far away from this. What has been your personal transformation uh, when while doing these circles and you know throughout the whole journey of transitioning from your banking career? Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think one of the or what I'd say one of the biggest realizations for me was was the recognition of how my winning formula no longer served me. And when I transitioned, I could feel that state of agitation within me, knowing that something needed to change, but not knowing what, being stuck in the fear and vulnerability of if not this 15-year career as the specialist, like what else, you know, what, what am I going to do? Can I give up all of that brand and equity that I have in that persona and that identity, let that all dissolve and be in that in-between state of not knowing in that winter time of not knowing, you know, trusting deeply that there is going to be an emergence of a new. And in that process of the dissolution of that old identity and the subsequent winter to then emerge out in the new, not having fully experienced my rite of passage and dying to my old ways in a healthy way, I brought some of those unhealthy ways of being and ways of managing and ways of leading into my new. And so that corporate momentum that was in me back then suddenly came into my entrepreneurial life and that didn't work or suit at all. You know, there was a bit of collateral damage along the way with some of the people that I worked with that just found me too much, too big, too fast, too, there was just all these twos, like two, just slow down, slow down, you know, there was this kind of force of nature in me that I'd built up over time, which was very much in hindsight and at the time very painfully revealed to me as I recognized the impact that I was having on others, you know, this unhealthy bigger, better, faster, do more with less, get shit done, or sorry, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, get stuff mm, done, sure you, um, <laughs> uh, you know, get stuff done, that really sort of kind of strong aspect of my conditioning didn't work in this new environment of wanting to support people to live in a different way. I hadn't fully died to that. And there was an impact to that. And so I'd say it was the lived experience of that that was probably the most transformational and the most difficult and it was very painful for me to recognize my own faults and recognize take accountability for those ways of being when it when it had served me before now in a different setting it didn't serve me it actually affected others and so there was this um this ultimate death that needed to happen mm -hmm. to these parts of myself that were no longer attuned to the frequency within which I wanted to move forward in, which is attuned to balance and harmony, to inclusivity, to being a force for good in the world, but not a force over or a force against. How to come into like healthy interdependence with that capacity within me to be a force for good in the world, but not a force over or a force under. Um, and so there was um, a painful journey to let go and to let those parts die and to atone for the impact that I had 
on others in that unconsciousness, I'd say, of the time. And then to celebrate the emergence from that challenge part of that rite of passage into a new vision and being able to choose a different way forward and being able to then honor myself for being willing to die to those parts, even though they had felt so important, you know, and I can feel that I've pulled so many of those healthy aspects of my masculine side into my way of being now, but it doesn't have the same impact that it was having that it had a few years back when I first transitioned. You know, there's a healthy way of being with these parts of myself that can get stuff done and can drive things forward. Healthy masculine attributes, which I I treasure and I respect and I give thanks for, but, you know, no longer having the kind of detrimental effect that they did back then. And I think about those uh, aspects of self or those those parts of my conditioning that were in that old environment and wow how they at times were celebrated and that for me is like oh, wow there's got to be a different way a different less traumatizing way for everybody to lead and manage you know our way through this collective rite of passage that we're in as a human population moving from a pre-covid world to a post-covid world and all of the you know, momentum that's in that big experience that we collectively move through, which requires really strong, grounded leadership in this time. Um, and that's really a, a, a key focus for me is how do we continuously personally and, you know, personally and then collectively cultivate the types of leadership capacities that are going to support us to navigate this incredibly big transition well and not have a fallout or a long-lasting tail end of impact that is unhealthy for too many people for too long. Yeah, it calls for a new way to lead. This is also tied somehow to, I mean, you mentioned the environment and I understand how letting go of um, certain identities also goes together with letting go of a whole community that you've built in this previous life, so to say. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with that? Letting go of all of these people, completely separating yourself from their opinions, from their, mm. from, from this entire exchange. Yeah. And, you know, you're touching on such an important aspect now because there's, there's a lot of grief there. There's a lot of grief and sadness in that. And, you know, a, a large part of the resistance to moving away was that, wow, I've spent so long with all of these people who are my friends and they mean a lot to me and they you know and it's and my choices are going to be difficult for them to be with in many ways and it's difficult for me to be with the old system the way it is at the moment um in that way um and so i felt like there was you know a lot of grief and sadness that needed to be felt and needed to be honored in that process and in that time, I've still maintained a number of different, you know, relationships I had in my professional world with people who have uh, a real openness and receptivity to have this type of dialogue and have this kind of conversation. And ultimately, it really comes down to my capacity to be really skilled in the way in which I communicate these sorts of things. You know, I'm not out there to point fingers or to blame or to shame or to, you know, say this is wrong and this is right. It's that each and every one of us are on our own individual journey in relation to the lives that we individually lead and then collectively. So there's no right or wrong in any of this for anyone because each individual has their own attunement to their own set of circumstances. And all I am looking and seeking to do, especially as a facilitator, is to meet somebody where they are be able to support them navigate their specific set of circumstances and conditions in a way that is 
easeful and filled with grace and to navigate it with an awareness that supports them to be able to do that really well. Um, and, you know, from my old life, from my old world of, of, of banking, there's still so many people that I that I connect with and that stay in touch, that really appreciate the perspectives that I've got. And I also recognize that there will be people that will find me quite polarizing in that way. And that's just part and par- parcel of the process. All I can keep seeking to do is to create a healthy relating field for them to connect still with me, because regardless of beliefs, and dogma, there's always a personal connection with each individual, which trumps, you know, the word love will always trump over beliefs and dogma and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, look, I mean, it touches on the difficult part of our rite of passage, which is when there's, you know, when there is sadness and grief and how that needs to be experienced and that ability and willingness to turn towards the choices that we need to make in order to transition through these stages well. And that inevitably will involve facing our fears, grieving for what we've seemingly lost, feeling that level of sadness, being able to really go into that feeling state to to be able to digest that and allow for a new way of being with these people to emerge. Um, And yeah, look, it does take, for me, it's certainly taking a lot of courage to continuously step out Um, in this way because obviously everybody from my old life remembers me in a certain way and then there's this big transition that's happened and now I'm stepping out in a new way and there's a vulnerability certainly for me in that process around hey can I step out in full authenticity you know full unapologetic authenticity and be open to receiving potentially some you know confusion or or negative feedback in some way, shape, or form from those that I used to know. And at the same time, recognize that not everybody is going to be attuned to this way of thought. Some people are going to be very attuned to other ways of thought. So just being open to whatever's happening is 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 the key. And being willing to feel the feelings, feel the grief, feel the sadness. Wow. Paula, thank you so much for letting us experience sisterhood for this uh, past almost an hour thank you so much i resonate with a lot of the things you said actually all of the things you said i've gone through the same experience the same rites of passage it's taken me long to um to reach these conclusions and thank you so much for wrapping them up and bringing them to us once again where can people find you if they want to join your uh, energy circles frequency circles yeah, beautiful. Thanks. So they can look me up on www.thefrequency.global. Um, and there's a button there to connect with a discovery call that we can have a catch up and see just where you're at, what might be happening for you, what might be the most appropriate next steps. Um, and yeah, I'm available to speak to anybody in any time zone because my circles do stretch across the different time zones to accommodate people around the world. So it would be wonderful to hear from anybody who'd like to chat further. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And Beautiful. wishing you all the best with the developing of the circles and spreading this light. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me on your show today. And thank you for all the hard work that you do to bring these important messengers to your listeners. I really appreciate a woman doing extraordinary work such as you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. 
If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.